The last time we looked at Colossians, we talked a little bit about what it means to live in relationship to God and then in relationship to the church community, and that kind of falls under that communion of saints. And now we're going to go a little further, and uh, I invite you to turn with me to Colossians 3, verse 18. Colossians 3, verse 18, page 1835 in your pew Bibles. The second half of Colossians 3 now continues to talk about how to live in relationships, but these relationships now are relationships that I know in um, my particular Bible, the heading is Rules for Christian Households. And it talks about relationships between uh, spouses, relationships between parents and children, and relationships between slaves and masters, which was actually part of the households of that day. So we're going to focus our attention a little bit on how does, uh, how does it, what does it mean to be a Christian and to live with these relationships. The Colossians are a fairly new group of Christians. And so Paul's answering some questions they have. How do we live as, as good spouses? How do we live as good parents or children? How do we live in, in slave-master relationships or employer-employee relationships? So let's uh, look at those Verses of Paul is a very short version of, of these rules for relationships here in Colossians, but in kind of a parallel but more extended letter, the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he writes a lot longer about these, and so we're going to use Ephesians to flush this out as well. Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward." It's the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, as we look at these relationships in our lives, we pray that you might help inform us, and if need be, transform us, in the relationships that we have, that they might be more and more Christ-like. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul moves from giving rules for holy living personally and within the church community to holy living within our relationships. He addresses three primary relationships that a lot of us have in life, marriage, family, and, uh, and job we'll look at rather than the slave-master relationship. Paul's letter to the Colossians, however, as I mentioned, is a bit short and to the point, especially in this section. He seems to need to spend a little bit more time with the church in Ephesus when explaining these relationships. So if we let Scripture interpret Scripture, which is a good reform principle of interpretation, we can get Paul's more detailed meaning by also paying attention to those parallel verses in Ephesians 5 and 6. So if you want to, you can have your Bibles open there as well, and we'll reference that along the way. 
So as Paul starts out with your marital life, he is very straightforward and concise here. Wives submit, husbands love, both of which are fitting in the Lord. End of, end of the case. But what does Paul mean by these phrases? Well, if you look at Ephesians 5, Paul uh, it expands on that considerably, and I think it's worth our time to look at that. Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33 starts, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I believe this is kind of the overarching statement that Paul makes about relationships. That we submit to one another. I think it rules relationships that we've already looked at. uh, Relationships within the church community. We already got to that a little bit when we read from Philippians 2, which is exactly what Paul is saying there. Consider others better than yourselves. Put them first. Serve each other. Mutual submission. But now I believe that he's using this as an overarching banner to talk about the other relationships as well. Mutual submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So here... Paul depicts marriage as a covenant relationship, reflective of God's covenant relationship with us. He, he compares marriage, he parallels it with that covenant relationship between Christ and his church. This is important, especially in our world today. Marriage is not a contract for services rendered. Unfortunately, I think that that's precisely the way the secular culture sees marriage. It's a contract. Well, you know, there's this old saying that goes, contracts are made to be what? Broken. Oh, I wonder why there's so much divorce in the world today. If you view marriage as a contract, then you're saying, well, you didn't meet up with your end of the bargain, so I can just void it, null and void don't need to deal with this. But that's not the way marriage is presented in the Bible from, from Genesis 1 on. Marriage in the Bible is presented as a covenant, reflective of God's covenant with us. And covenants are meant to be lifelong. God, in fact, gave his only son to fulfill the part of the covenant that we didn't keep in relationship with him. 
Well, the overarching theme, as we noted in Ephesians 5, is submit to one another, which I think applies to to marriage, to parent-child relationships, to employer-employee relationships. But what does it mean for marriage to submit to one another? I suggest it means two things. First, it means that there's an equality in Christ. There's an equality in Christ. Earlier, Paul has said, about the church, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. How does that play a role in marriage? Well, there is no dominant person or no domineering person in marriage. Marriage is meant to be a mutual effort, a mutual effort. Secondly, we're also then called to be servants in Christ. If, if it's mutual submission we're talking about, that points to mutual servanthood. We're to be serving each other. Both spouses serve each other. And that's really the connotation of the words Paul uses in Colossians as well. Wives submit. That seems fairly obvious as a, as a word of service. Wives submit. But also, Paul says, husbands love. Now, husbands, that doesn't mean we're off the hook. Okay, all we've got to do is love, send them a Hallmark card, maybe buy them some roses occasionally. Because love is the word that's being used here as agape, and you've probably heard this time and time again, but it's a, it's a word that wasn't used a lot in, in Greco-Roman culture because it's love that talks about self-sacrifice, about giving of oneself. And there were a lot more popular words in the Greek language until the Christians got a hold of this and and saw that this was what Jesus has done for us. This is the self-giving love that Jesus showed in going to the cross. And so as Paul says here in Ephesians, we love like Christ loved us. Self-giving. And so marriage is a giving relationship on both sides. There are, however, special roles in Christian marriage. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that marriage is reflective of Christ's relationship with his church. And so the wife is in the role of the church, the bride of Christ. As the church loves, honors, and respects Christ, so the wife should love, honor, and respect her husband. As Christ is at the center of the church's life, a husband should be central to his wife's life. As the church looks to Christ for spiritual leadership, so a wife should be able to look to her husband for that same spiritual leadership. The husband is cast in the role then of having a Christ-like love for his bride. As Christ honors, respects, and dearly loves the church, so a husband must honor, respect, and dearly love his wife. As Christ always looks for the welfare and building up of the church as his own body. So the husband needs to look for the welfare and building up of his wife. Unfortunately, I've seen the headship issue sometimes taken the wrong way. People saying, well, I'm, guys saying, okay, well, I'm the head, so you do what I want. Then they become domineering and they become abusive. And that's a real issue in our society. And I don't think that's what what God intended of marriage. He intended us to, to treat our wives like Christ treats us, 
like Christ treats the church, the welfare and building up, not the tearing down of the church, of our wives. Christ, of course, took his love so far that he died for the church. The ultimate example of self-giving love. And the husband should have that same sacrificial, self-giving love for his wife. Is that the kind of love you have for your wife, gentlemen? Marriage prospers when we follow Christ's will for mutual submission. When we are looking more for what we can give to our spouse than what we're getting from them. A second important relationship is between parents and children. So important that Paul reminds us again in Ephesians that God addressed it with one of the commandments, the fifth commandment. Paul reflects on this relationship, which we don't often think of as mutual, but there's a sense of mutuality in this relationship as well. One part of the relationship involves being honorable parents. To bring up our children to know the Lord is, in essence, Paul's definition of being honorable parents. What does that involve? Well, we must always remember that parents' authority comes from God. In the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment sort of serves as a link between the first four, which, is, which are commandments on our relationship with God, and then the last five, which deal with our relationship and our children's relationship with society. And the, the parents are kind of in between there. They're the ones that are to train their children for those relationships within society. And it almost seems to be a transfer right in the commandments of God's authority to parents. Now, this could be pretty heady to say our authority comes from God. And so Paul adds a disclaimer, handle with care. You must be honorable parents. Don't abuse your authority. Don't anger or discourage your children. But at the same time, do exercise parental authority. How? Well, God also gives us a purpose for our authority, and that is to educate, to bring our children up to know the Lord. In both the Old and New Testaments alike, the sole responsibility for the education of children lies with their parents. And I would suggest that the same is true today. It doesn't matter that we've got youth groups and, and Sunday school classes and catechism classes and Christian schools and the like, none of us can abdicate our responsibility to raise our children to know the Lord. And we educate not just by our words, but more pointedly and more strongly by our actions. So honorable parents use their God-given authority to bring their children to the Lord. But another part of that relationship is children honoring their parents. What does that involve? Well, to obey, obey and honor parents is to obey and honor God, since it's his authority that the parents exercise. Now, obey, obey that word probably fits better with children who are still living under the roof of their parents. But in Ephesians, Paul adds the word honor. And I think honor Honoring your parents should be true for children of any age, even adults. Honor literally means weightiness. 
weightiness. You respect your parents as people who carry a lot of weight in your life. You honor their values and their beliefs, their, their pattern for living and their lifestyle as long as it honors God. Why obey? Why honor? Well, Paul says, for this pleases the Lord. And both the Old and New Testament point to how we can do that. To honor parents not only honors God, but receives his approval, Paul notes. According to the fifth commandment, honoring your parents brings long life in the promised land, which I suggest means the well-being of society. If it's followed, then not only are families better off, but society is as well. Now, through the 30-plus years I've been a pastor, I've had a number of school teachers in my churches. And one of the things I've heard from them, and even more increasingly in recent years, is the lack of respect that children bring now to the classroom and to uh, adults and to people that are in uh, supervisory and teaching positions. And the saddest thing about that is that when they have to deal with the parents or bring the parents in, the parents are no better. The parents support the children, say, oh, no, they're fine, and, and where do you have the right to, to question my children? And they can see where, where the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I think that this affects our society. The breakdown of good parenting has had a direct effect on our society. And I think we see it in the adults today. We see it how people treat each other on Facebook. We see it in how people treat each other in the political arena. Uh, the list can go on and on and on. I think that's what, what God meant when he said in the fifth commandment, if you, if you really honor your parents, it's going to be long life in the land. It's going to, it's going to build up our society. But if there's not good parenting and there's not honoring of parents, it's going to cause the breakdown in society. And I think we're seeing some of that today. And so this is important stuff. And finally, Paul talks about your work life. <clears throat> now he's talking about slaves here. Remember, slaves were property with no right to direct their own lives. But as the gospel spread, many slaves, as well as their masters, became Christians. And we know that that happened in the church in Colossae because we know their names. Philemon was a slave master. In fact, the church met at his house. And Onesimus was his slave. And Paul actually has to address a separate letter, which we have in, in our Bible, the letter to Philemon, because Onesimus has run away because of the way Philemon has treated him. And so Paul addresses that. And then he addresses not just those two, but he addresses the whole church here. This is how you live together as slaves and masters. And I think today Paul's words of advice would be very similar to employers and employees and their relationships. A number of years ago, Charles Colson and Jack Eckerd, in their book, Why America Doesn't Work, shared a Lou Harris poll of American workers and these are American workers talking about themselves. 63% believed people don't work as hard as they did 10 years ago. 78% believe people take less pride in their work. 
69% believe their workmanship was inferior to the past. 73% believe workers are less motivated today. Why? Well, they saw it as a decline of the work ethic in America. As Will Rogers once said, what this country needs is dirtier fingernails and cleaner minds. Well, Paul talks directly to those relationships here. He counsels employees, first of all, slaves or employees, on their inner attitude. That theirs is not to be a grudging compliance, but a wholehearted commitment to doing the boss's will. That involves obeying your boss, showing respect to him and her, working honestly with sincerity of heart, even when your boss isn't looking, and whether or not your boss is a Christian or not. And some of you are saying, oh, Pastor Ed, but you don't know my situation. How can I do this? My situation is intolerable. Well, think about this. This was slaves he was addressing. But Paul has an answer to that question. How do I do this? He says, you do it as if serving the Lord. I don't think Paul is calling us to engage in a game of make-believe Like, oh, we should just pretend we're working for God? I think he actually believes that we are. He firmly believes that God places us where he wants us at a particular moment. And so, at this moment, our job is our God-given vocation. This is where God has placed us. And so it's our God-given vocation. And so we are actually working for God. And this can extend beyond beyond the work world, too. Because there's a lot of folks here that are retired. It doesn't stop with the work world. It's in our neighborhoods, in our social clubs, in our community. Where God has placed us is part of our God-given vocation. And so we work there as if serving the Lord. Colson and Eckert note that at the heart of the work ethic is God. And so they say the death of the work ethic in America is a direct result of the loss of a spiritual center in our society. And then, of course, Paul doesn't leave out masters. Bosses are to treat their employees in the same way, with fairness, respect, and honesty. In so doing, says Paul, they are obeying Christ, who is their master in heaven. And so Paul impresses on the Colossians, these new Christians, and to us, that our relationships, whether between marriage partners, parents and children, employer-employees, should be lived out in a way that is fitting to the Lord, that pleases the Lord, and that serves the Lord Christ. Is that true of us in our relationships? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the most important relationship of all that we have, a relationship with you. And we thank you that you, in fact, were willing to not lord it over us, but to be even our servant. Jesus, you actually went to the cross to show that that self-giving agape love. Help us to learn from that and help us to apply that in the relationships that we have so we might be Christ-like as well. And then might you receive the glory for how we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you stand and join me in singing a song about one of those relationships, a parent-child relationship, and talking about passing down that gospel to uh, subsequent generations. Tell your children. It's number 314 and Lift Up Your Hearts. We're going to sing three stanzas. Would you stand and sing with me?